Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Get it automatically. It'd be really cool if you rate five stars, leave a review, whatever you get your podcast. You can like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'm posting new stuff all the time. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion, except when it's very clearly spam because I've gotten a ton of spam this week. All right, I'll say it every episode for the next few months. Philly Sketch Fest 2020 will take place June 3rd through the 7th this year. And the submissions for the live shows and the Sketch Comedy Film Festival are now open. Head over to phillysketchfest.com for all the information you'll need. But today, we head to New York City. Today's guest is Kevin Frolix, currently a member of Kevin and Pat and the UCB mod team, House of Birds. His first sketch is called Wrong Number. Kevin reads the roles of Jacob, who's the lead, and Mike, one of the friends, and I read Ron and Carol, who is the woman that's on the phone. So let's go to the sketch. Opens with three guys all hanging out, partying, laughing, other such merriments. Suddenly, one guy, Jacob, gets a phone call. So I told her, no, the flux capacitor needs 1.21 gigawatts of power in order to send anyone through time, regardless of how tall they are. Oh, wow. Seriously? That's when you know that the relationship has to end immediately. (laughs) Tell me about it, Mike. I mean, hello, McFly. What a stupid... Oh, hold up, fellas. I'm getting a phone call. (laughs) <laughs> Who is it? Is it that chick Becca again? Dude, you seriously just need to date her. She obviously wants you. Oh, weird. It's an unknown caller. Probably a telemarketer. I'm not going to answer it. No, Jacob, let's have some fun with this one. Just answer and say ridiculous things to him. It'll be fun. Yeah, dude, do it. And put it on speakerphone so we can all hear it too. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll answer it. Uh, I'll answer it. Hold up. Shh, 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 shh. Jacob answers the phone with a faux, deep, overly manly voice. Hello? A woman is on the other line of the call. She speaks very sensually. Hey there. What can I do for you today? Talk all sexy to her. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) What was that? Uh, I said, what can I do for you, baby? Ron and Mike start snickering. Oh, you know, I just figured it's about one o'clock on Tuesday. And you know what that means. Yes, yes, it's time for our little phone date. Hmm, oh yeah. You know it, I'm so turned on. Jacob puts his hand over the phone. Oh my god, some chick is trying to have phone sex. <laughs> it must be a wrong number, just play along. <laughs> okay, shh, sh- oh, sweet thing, I'm gonna rock your world. <laughs> oh yes, I'm already naked and in the tub. Just tell me what you want to do to me. Say you're going to slather her with honey and cover her with diced carrots. Uh, Hey, baby, I'm going to slather you with honey. I mean, really cover you from head to toe. And then I'm going to stick diced carrots all over. Ooh, you get more creative every time. 
would you start eating them off my ankles first? Mm, yeah, baby. <laughs> I, I know how wild that drives you. You guys, this is sick. <laughs> no, don't worry. It's hilarious. She deserves it for calling the wrong number. Okay, okay. What should I say now? Tell her you're going to take her custer with your little bighorn. <laughs> baby, I'm going to take your custer with my little bighorn. Hmm. Jason, you drive me crazy when you talk dirty. <laughs> Jason has a really crazy girlfriend <laughs> calling in the middle of the day for phone sex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm, yeah, Jason loves his sex kitten. And Carol loves her wild bear. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Carol? Jason, yeah, it's Carol, you know, your wife. And geez, you really ruined the move. Uh, oh my God. Mom? Jacob? Oh my God, I just had phone sex with my mother. Ron and Mike sit there looking horrified, and then they burst into laughter. Oh God, Jacob, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh God, you're probably going to need therapy. Mom, what the hell? Why did you call me for phone sex? I thought I called your father. What? Well, I'm still trying to get used to this whole cell phone business here, and the names Jacob and Jason are right next to each other, so I must have called the wrong number. I'm so sorry. I was just looking for some afternoon love, and God, and your father and I have been doing this every Tuesday for the last eight months without any problems. I tell you, these new cell phone things are so confusing. <laughs> oh my God, Oh my God, Jake, Jake your parents are horny little, little devils. devils. Who's that with you, sweetie? Uh, oh, it's Ron and Mike, and please never call me sweetie again. Hello, boys. How's school going? Good, Mrs. Not now, Ron. Mom, I can't believe you and Dad oh, every Tuesday. God damn. All right, fine, fine. We all had our laughs. Now let's just move on from this. I'm so embarrassed. Oh, you're embarrassed. Okay, okay, let's move on now. What do you want for dinner tonight? I, I don't know. Mom, I need to go. I... I'll be back late. I probably won't make it to dinner. Bye. Okay, well, be safe and drive care. Jacob hangs up the phone. Guys, I need to... I just need to go. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Ha, sure thing, dude. We get it. Feel better, man. Yeah, later, guys. Jacob leaves. Okay, he's gone. Dude, I told you switching the numbers around on his mom's phone would pay off. <laughs> Best prank ever. <laughs> this worked better than I could have hoped for. <laughs> Pizza? Yeah, let's go. The two high five and walk away. The end. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Josh. How's it going? All right. So tell me about this wrong number <laughs> sketch. So, all right. This sketch is actually the it is legitimately the very first sketch i ever wrote it's also the version we just read is the very first draft of the very first sketch that i wrote uh this mm. was written in january it's actually almost exactly 12 years ago it was january of 2008 that i wrote that one um and i wrote it okay. while i was a sophomore in college with a uh sketch group i helped start and um or joined and helped start. However, I forget the exact order of it. It was a weird one of those college groups where the membership kept kind of being in flux. But it was it was the sketch group that I was part of in college, and uh, um, we were struggling to put together our first show. And we all just kind of like had these half baked ideas. None of us had ever written before. None of us were had any sort of like script writing or screenwriting 
know-how at all. So that was literally like the first idea where I was like, oh, that could be maybe a full thing. And so I like wrote it all out. And for your benefit, I did transcribe it into like a screenwriting format so that it would be possible to read. But it literally was just like a <laughs> Word document with like like the character Jacob, colon, and then the line right next to it because I had no idea how scripts were supposed to be formatted. Yeah. So um, the only reason I was actually able to find it was because that old sketch group used to have a Facebook group and Facebook doesn't delete anything. So I found the original like post that I put in that group with that original script in there. Yeah, that's so crazy because I had to do that. Um, I actually talked to one of the members of my former sketch group when I first got started and I that's, I did the same thing. He's like, dude, I'm like three computers <laughs> like past that time. I was like, I'll look. And I went digging through our, it was either our Facebook or our mm-hmm. Google Drive. And I was like, here, we'll do this one. He's like, all right, cool. Like, and then I, like, you know, I spent a little time digging around and I was like, and kind of like reminiscing, like, oh, some of this is okay. <laughs> like, so none of you have ever done sketch comedy before. What makes you start, join, however the process yeah. is, a college sketch comedy? Yeah. Club? Yeah. So I went to college. Um, at the University of New Hampshire. I'm from New Hampshire. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so like it was sophomore year of college and I actually uh, lived in a dorm next door to uh, where a guy I went to middle school and high school with. And it was one of those friends. Now he's one of my best friends, like on the short list, he was invited to my wedding and we see each other like all the time. Right. But in high school, middle school, we ran in very different circles. Um, but I bumped into him in uh, just like in the little quad area in front of our two dorms. And he was like, oh, I'm going to the student activity fair for the club I'm starting. I was like, oh, cool. What's the club? Just kind of making polite conversation. Um, and he goes, oh, we're starting a sketch comedy group. And I was like, oh, I didn't know we had a sketch comedy group. He's like, yeah, we're starting. It's me and my friend, Sean. We're putting it together. I was like, oh, I'd, I'd be really interested in doing something like that. So I signed up and just went to this meeting thing like, oh, this is cool. I wanted to do something comedy related and i had like we there was already like an established improv group on campus and i think i auditioned for it mm-hmm. i think i auditioned for it twice and i never got picked to be on it um and so so this was one yeah. of those things where i was like oh i'd like to i still want to do something i just liked comedy in general my whole life so i was like this sounds cool and i went um and it was like maybe six or seven people that were interested in it and they had never done a show before nobody had ever written anything uh, so nobody was like in charge, quote unquote. It was just the people whose name were on the paper for like who's <laughs> president of this club. But so for the first right. like semester of it, this must have been I think this must have been my 2007 to 2008 sophomore year. So all of that 2007 first semester was just us sitting around thinking about, hey, wouldn't it be great if we wrote sketches? Um, and we used people would bring <laughs> in like DVDs of sketch shows that they liked, whether it was like here's the best of Phil Hartman DVD or here's like a bit of Fry and Laurie. We had a couple of people who were like really into like Monty Python, Fry and Laurie, all the like British sketch shows. Um, we'd pull things up on like, this is like early, early YouTube. So you could still find like if somebody transferred things over from VHS, you might find some like obscure, like kids in the hall sketches that weren't floating around the internet yet and things like that. And we would just like watch sketches and try to figure out like, what is jokes? What are, what, how, do, how does this work? Um, I remember <laughs> once we went over to my friend Sean's dorm and we literally put in airplane and took notes on what the jokes in airplane actually are to try to understand comedy. Um, and I had, I had some friends yeah. that were like, like they were really into it, but because we never really did anything, they kind of like dropped out. And one of my other best friends was, his name was Tim. And he showed up to a meeting basically to say like, Hey, I'm going to quit this club. Uh, this was before you could just like mass group text everybody to break up with friends. So like he came in person and his plan, he's told, he told me this like a couple years later, he was like, I'm going in to quit. But then we were all talking about like, Hey, why don't we just sign up for 
like a half hour spot at the every like semester they would do a student activities fair where like different groups would perform or you could like there'd be like a booth if you want to join whatever club i was like let's just sign up for it and then we have a deadline and we have to write a sketch and if everybody just writes one thing we pick five of them and that's our show um and that's literally like how we finally like buckled down and started writing things and i I do remember the exact moment i thought of this idea and it was because in the old flip phone days Mm -hmm. when you would have to like scroll through to find the person you were trying to call or not even i don't even texting cost extra back then so it was like to find the person i was going to call my dad's name is keith so like keith and kevin are always next to each other and i was like oh that'd be funny if somebody's mom was like trying to have phone sex with the dad and because they have the same close to the same name they call the wrong person i remember i was like I used to have a, I used to commute like an hour to work. I worked like a manual, very manual labor type job, like in a greenhouse. And it was like an hour away from my parents' house. And I would have a lot of time to just like think. And I, that was how I came up with like all the early sketch ideas in that group was just having these like long drives home. And somehow I thought of that and I went home and just like wrote the first draft. And because none of us knew how to like edit ideas or cut the fat out of things, it was pretty much the final draft. Um, and so we did that at our first show and that kind of kicked off me like realizing like, oh, I can just come up with a silly idea, put it into a script form, like find a way to get to the joke I actually want to get to. And I don't know, but there was no like formal process to it. And we all just kind of like, you know, finagled our way through it for the few years that that we did that all together. The first time you performed it, how did it go? It went well. I mean, college, college kids, like anybody who's done like any college comedy, like it's, it's always like the easiest audience. Like you're writing for your exact demographic, which is other idiots who are 18, 19 years old. And like, those are all the people that go there. So like, I know people who've started either stand up or they did improv and, and, you know, now people will treat improv like, like it's an art. Like I have friends who are on like teams where they'll be doing like a full, like our improv scene. And that's like a really, when it, when it really is done well, you're like, wow, that's like watching somebody write a play in real time. That's amazing. But like in college groups, it was always like, whose line is it anyway games and and that stuff is really fun but it's like you know you're doing basically just like short jokes for people who have the attention span for those short jokes and it's like you know just just get make things that are funny right away and so so the first the first sketch was great and i honestly i feel like probably most people were like oh wow they actually did a thing like people if you do a thing that you're not used to seeing like i feel like especially in college people are just like so easily impressed with the fact that you did a thing uh, what was this college group's name? Um, the group was called Sketched Out, and okay. <laughs> it was uh, it was a name that um, my the, my two friends who started it uh, they came up with it, and I was never really crazy about the name because I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird punny name. But then I like soon after became like in like president quote unquote <laughs> president of the group, and by then we were already like established on campus a little bit, and I was like, well, there's no point in changing the name, but. Um, it actually yeah. helped because like people kind of knew what we did just from the names. So even though it was kind of a corny name, right, like we exactly. really liked that it had the word sketch in it and made it clear like, oh, this is what this club does. We're not improv, even though everybody thought we were the same as the improv group. And we're like, no, even though it seems like we're making it up, it's there's like scripts that we try hard on. You had this whole thing about like, you know, joining a comedy group in college. So like, do you have an earliest memory of comedy like as a kid? Um, I mean, I always I always gravitated to comedy like and things that made me laugh I always really enjoyed um and I I definitely remember that it was like until probably like freshman sophomore year of college I didn't even have an attention span for movies that were like dramatic or like you know (laughs) 
not not comedy movies like i could sit through and watch like you know i like i like i've i I probably watched like um mel brooks movies like i could watch those over and over again if we went to like rent movies it would always be like a mel brooks movie or something in that vein um and so i always gravitated to those things but i do remember distinctly being like 12 or 13 years old and that was when like we got comedy central and um, every Friday night, they would have Friday night stand up and they would just show like these half hour Comedy Central Presents specials, like one after the other for like five hours straight. And that was my Friday night. And talking to some people I went to high school with, they were like, oh, yeah, like age 13, 14, 15, they were already like going out and like having parties in the woods and like sneaking out of the house and doing that. And I was having a much more wholesome <laughs> uh, childhood, just like literally from like seven o'clock until midnight, whenever it ended, like every Friday, I was watching these half hour <laughs> specials. Um, and that was when I like really started like paying attention to it and even being like 13 and like, Oh, wow. I like think so, so stupidly being like a 13 year old, like, Oh my God, I want to do, I want to do that. I could stand up there. Like you just, you just need to do like three 10 minute chunks. Cause I thought that's all comedy was. Cause there were commercials every 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> and, but having no idea, like kid in New Hampshire, I could have gone to Boston or something, but I didn't, it never like dawned on me, like what the process of it actually was. I just knew that I really liked it. Um, in high school, I met like other weirdos that like also were obsessed with stand-up and and like every day like we were all like in like band chorus and so we kind of took over the music wing and during lunches we would eat lunches together and we'd bring in vhs tapes that we had taped from the previous friday of like our favorite comedy specials that we saw and we would just watch them during lunch and just like bring the same ones in like we would watch them over and over again now if i see the same joke twice i get bored with it but back then it was like i'll just watch like the same things over and over and over again Um, and they never get old. Um, I also remember being like in eighth grade on the bus where we we would share a bus with the high schoolers and some of the like junior seniors in high schoolers would like bully the hell out of us because we were just like middle school twerps. And there was one guy who Mm -hmm. quoted a stand-up special that I had seen. I feel like it was Sean Cullen, who was like a musical comedian that he had like a special. Yeah, Yeah, he was a Canadian comedian. Um, He did some stuff with Mad TV and uh, he had a song in his special Uh, that was like... uh, Corky and the Juice Pigs? Corky and the Juice Pigs, yeah. Um, But he had a song in his special called Thank You for the Porn and it was just about like, if you're feeling sad, just watch porn. And it was so funny as like a 13-year-old and somebody quoted it and I just like sang the whole song to them and they were like, oh, this kid's cool. And then I started like hanging out in the back of the bus with all the like bad boy <laughs> high schoolers. And I was like the one kid that didn't get bullied. So that also definitely triggered something in me with like, oh, if, if, if you're funny, people like you. So that's always been like a, a thread throughout, I think. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, of those early like Comedy Central presents half hours, mm-hmm. is there like one or two that really like stick out to you in your memory? I still remember the first two I saw, like the first time I sat down and watched these, um, they were back to back and it was Pablo Francisco's first special first half hour mm-hmm. comedy central presents where he does, um, uh, yeah, the, the most amazing one, like he does a lot of like sound effects and voices and yeah. very animated guy. And he, his, the whole like last 10 minutes of it is him doing a movie trailer for an, a fake Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called little tortilla boy. <laughs> Uh, and then the special after that one, I remember was Adam Ferreira, who was, uh, like a very, like, very like New York comic and just like leather jacket and just kind of like, kind of a tough guy, but like very like goofy persona. And he, he, he was very, I remember him being very big and like really using the stage and like using the mic stand and the stool as like props in the stand up. And, um, I think yeah. he had a, he had a whole thing about like Moses walking in the desert and like people behind him just being like, oh, yeah. I don't think he knows where that, he's going. That's what I remember. Yeah. Him, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, and that, that was a special. Those two specials I had on a VHS tape, and those were like the two I would bring in 
to school to watch with my friends like on the vcr and the in the music wing like like every week we would just bring in this stuff um so those are, those are the two big stand-up specials that i remember but like literally every friday from like age 13 until i don't know whenever i got my driver's license was just watching those half hour specials and things like that uh i mean stand-up's a big part i'm sure but mm-hmm. like what's your introduction to sketch comedy yeah so uh i'm trying to think of like what the first sketch comedy things were that i watched i mean there was definitely some like like those i guess it would be like those nickelodeon shows like the all that's the amanda show Mm -hmm. those were like when i was a kid i would watch things like that and not realize that they are just like you know sketch shows from the 70s basically re repackaged for kids but um i remember my like my parents would always quote like classic snl bits that i didn't really I didn't have any frame of reference for it. It was on after my bedtime. I didn't know what it was, but like my dad was always huge into like Belushi and Bill Murray and like that crew. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, even like being a kid in the nineties, like people would constantly reference like making the copies and like all the, all of those like classic uh, nineties era things. So eventually because of comedy central, like I would watch, especially in the summer when I'd be like home all day, like there would be reruns of like uh, nineties, uh 90s era snl that would come on and i would that's how i like watched it i didn't realize that they had a new cast every like every year pretty much but i would just watch these and just think they were funny i didn't really understand like what went into like making it or like why it was so impressive that they were in different costumes every five minutes but um yeah yeah, but like the the night the decade of the 90s snl was was huge um i also remember and this is one that nobody seems to remember but like me and one other person but there was a it only lasted one season it was on comedy central and it was a sketch show called the hollow men um and it was I've, oh i don't know that it's uh there's some of it on youtube and it's one that like i i desperately wanted to like the whole show to be on dvd um it was on like early 2000s and it was on like around the same time that like stella had their own show like the original stella show with michael ian black sure, yeah. michael show walter david wayne another show that i loved that only lasted one season i don't have a good track record with liking comedy central shows um but it was it was a sketch show i feel like they were all british maybe one of them was australian um, and they were just like very bizarre, like almost like Monty Python meets kids in the hall type of type of humor. Um, and there's one sketch that I it's all it, whenever I've taken like a sketch class or like hung out with people and they're like, oh, what's your favorite sketch that not a lot of people know? And sometimes people pick like an obscure Mr. Show sketch. Um, but the one I always pick, it's called uh, like I think it's called like career aptitude test. And it's a guy who goes in to like find out what career he should go into. And he's like, I'm really hoping to go into management. And the guy is like, well, we took your test results and it looks like you would be well-fitted to be king of Spain. Uh, and the whole sketch is just him trying not to become king of Spain, but he becomes like intertwined into this like military coup to take over Spain. And it's, it's so wild and so funny and nobody remembers the show, which is probably why it got canceled. So, I mean, as we're talking about SNL, I always ask, I'm mm-hmm. always curious, who would be your favorite SNL cast? Yeah, member? that's uh. It's uh, I've I've honestly, if I think about like that classic era where I was like, oh my god, I love this show and I love this cast, um, it's definitely like that mid to late '90s era, um, where like Will Ferrell was in the cast and and some other like longtime mainstays were in there. But the person who I think of most for that era is Molly Shannon, and even like every time I go yeah. back and watch that era of SNL, like she's always the one that like always makes me laugh no matter how bizarre or crazy or stupid those characters are she always 
makes me laugh so much. Um, and even when she shows up, like she has that cameo in Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, anytime she shows up in like anything, she's always, even if she's playing it, playing it down, she just like, her mannerisms are so funny and she's so good at like that type of comedy. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Cause like whenever I like, whenever people talk about like that era Snell, like me personally, she's my least favorite of the three women of that cast of yeah on a gas tire sherry terry molly shannon but since like i yeah. totally appreciate her because like she's done awesome things since you know what well, american summer is one of my favorite movies like she's done really awesome stuff in the years yeah since it's, in- it's interesting you bring up like all th- yeah all three of them um I like there's so many sketches where it's just like it'll be like a panel show and it'll just be the three of them like they were such a powerhouse and I feel like historically like if people talk about that era of SNL they'll be like oh Will Ferrell was huge on there but like Sherry O'Terry Anna Gasteyer it's it's hard to pick just one of the three of them because like Anna Gasteyer had the sketch that she did with Will Ferrell like the the culps where they were like the the church band just and she yep. like she's like a broadway singer so she has like an amazing singing voice for her the sketch i think of the most was a it was a weekend update bit that i think she did with sarah mclaughlin and they always play it at thanksgiving and it's always a song i like to play at thanksgiving the uh based in based in blood song about butterball turkeys yeah and i think it's it's also like and i don't want to like denigrate the the women that came after it because i feel like there's a lot of praise heaped upon like that generation that next generation of like tina fey maya rudolph Ratch polar but i was like no 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 no. the three before them were just as good so funny so like mm-hmm. everything was perfect about those three like and and that might just be because like the early 90s like the women weren't really anything like it was much as oh the early yeah 90s were very much a, a boy show like Sandler, Spade, Mike Myers, Danny Carvey, all that. Like, I mean, Julia Sweeney had some characters, but for the most part, it was a dude's landscape. But yeah, like that Sherry O'Terry, Anna Gasire, Molly Shannon period is so strong. So let's talk about like you did, you know, sketch comedy in college. You became the president of that club or however one want to call it. How do we get to New York? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I graduated college 2010. Um, so I did like three, three years of, of doing this sketch group and I was like in charge of it, booking the rooms and everything like that. And I remember it was, um, my senior year. So this is like January, 2010, um, that a couple friends of mine just decided like, we're going to do stand up. And I was like, what do you mean you're going to do stand up? Like where? Um, and there was like a contest going on in Manchester and they both wrote five minutes of whatever jokes, 20 year olds, write in college and they drove to Manchester, New Hampshire, which is probably like 45 minutes away from campus. Uh, and it was on like the Manchester public access TV station. Um, and my friend Rob first time doing stand up, made it to the finals. And so we all went and like drove to Manchester a week later to see him do the finals. I think he came in like third place in this contest against like a bunch of other people that had maybe been doing it for like a year or two or had come up from Boston or whatever it might be. But like, I just remember being so insanely jealous that my friends just did a thing and I hadn't even thought that it was like possible to do. So then one day they were like, Oh, like we're going to go do this open mic. And I was like, I'll, I'll come with you. And they're like, well, it's tonight. And I was like, okay, I'll just write five minutes of stuff. And I like emailed a host of an open mic that was in like, it was in Newmarket, New Hampshire, another town right outside of Durham. And it was like, 
in the back of a bowling alley. Uh, it was like a candle pin bowling alley and a like a very like towny trucker bar where like a lot of people that like drove the snowplows for the town like would go there and then drink and then go back out snowplowing. Mm. And they put a mic in the corner and we would just go up and do this open mic. And it was a, a guy who's now been like a friend of mine for uh, 10 years now. Actually, yeah, I guess January 12th around there was the day that I did that. So it's been about 10 years since that night, but just like did an open mic there, uh, graduated college that May. Um, and this was like right in the middle of the, of the 2008 recession. Like for, if you graduated college, like from 2008 to 2012 around there, like you graduated and unless you were in a metropolitan area, you really didn't have many job options. So I kind of bumbled around from like retail jobs. And then I had a friend, it was actually my friend, Corey, who I helped start the sketch group with was like, Hey, I'm moving to New York and I need a roommate. And I was like, well, I can either be jobless here or I can go to New York and see what happens. And so I drove down with him. I've been doing stand up like consistently two or three nights a week. Like if there was a place I could go do comedy, I would drive and do that. I literally had nothing else going on for, you know, nine months to mm-hmm. a year after graduating, except my menial retail jobs or whatever, which I didn't care if I was hungover or tired the next day. So I would drive to Boston sometimes to do it. And so I was like, well, I'll go to New York and then I'll be in this major city. And so we moved into a tiny, tiny apartment in Astoria. We had like no furniture, very like two bachelor dudes living together type of environment. But, um, you know, I, I had, because I was living with my parents, I managed to save up a couple grand doing that and kind of stretch that out to last me a few months until I got like an actual job. And then, you know, no, not a good job, but just like living off of like minimum wage jobs until kind of bumbling my way into a better job where I could like afford to pay my rent and feed myself. And, um, but I mean, that was 2011, uh, and I've been living here ever since. So it's been coming up on nine years since I did that and I managed to make it work, but it was really just, uh, why the hell not? Like I might as well do it. And I'm glad I did. I got my ass kicked a lot. Those first like three years here, uh, I had to like really start from scratch. I didn't know anybody. Um, the friend I moved down with ran out of money pretty quickly. So he had to move back, um, to new England, pretty soon after so like i had i had a buddy for like three months and then i was kind of just like on my own down here um i'm married now and i had just started dating my now wife then um but she was kind of like going back and forth Mm -hmm. between new hampshire and new york at the time so it was like it's a lot of alone time uh back in those days and trying to like figure out what the hell i'm doing are you doing stand-up in that time yeah um so i i pretty much like i I, w- I remember being very depressed when I finished college because I loved doing that, doing sketch and like working with my friends two or three times a week. We we finally got into a rhythm of like every month we'll book a show and we have to have a show. And that was like how we held ourselves accountable. Um, and like that's what more than like I, I went to school, I majored in communication because I had to pick something. Uh, I like wasn't really attached to anything I was doing academically. So like I went to school like for that. And I remember like like some nights just like convulsively like crying in my dorm room alone, just realizing like that my whole identity was going to be gone. So I really like latched onto stand up once I, once I left and I would, uh, when I like went to New York, I wasn't working. So I would like write jokes during the day. And then I, you know, you could find websites where it would list like, here's all the open mics you can do. Um, and I would, I was doing like 14 to 16 open mics a week. Cause I had no job. I would do one. I would start doing them every day at like four in the afternoon and come back at like, three in the morning after doing like a one or 2 a.m. spot somewhere. Um, 
And it, I mean, my apartment was like, it was gross. It was like a very like 22 year old apartment. So like it was gross. There was no furniture. There was nothing there. So any excuse I could have to just be like out of that apartment, I would take. Um, right. And, but even when I, I finally got a job and I was working like full time, just as, like a reception job, very menial. Like I could write jokes like under the table when I needed to and leave every day at whatever time I was supposed to be out. And I would still stay out late to do every mic I could. Um, and that caused me to burn out and have like a bit of a like <laughs> existential crisis just from not sleeping and drinking way too much coffee and things like that. But um, yeah, I, was, I did stand up exclusively for about five years and then got back into sketch um, because of uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Stannis, who started Clip Show back in like 2015 around there. And he, he had started um, before Clip Show, we did this show called Express Lane where he pulled some comedians he knew and we had met through open mics when he was still doing a lot of stand-up. Um, and he was like, Oh, I'm putting together a sketch show. Uh, would you be interested? I was like, Oh yeah, I used to do sketch. I haven't done it in like five years though. So I'm very rusty. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but he was like, well, we're, it's going to be a week. We'll, we'll pitch sketches on Saturday. And then by next Saturday, we'll do the show. So it was very like fast paced, like get your drafts in by tomorrow. And like by Monday, you already had like a second or third draft going and then you would cast it and, rehearse it for two days and then do the, do the show. So that was like my reintroduction to sketch was like doing this monthly week long, very intense writing process. Um, luckily by then I had learned proper formatting. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my, my, my wife, she went to NYU. And so that's, she's from New Hampshire. I met her after college, but she was like commuting back and forth. She was friends with other comedians that I had met um, doing stand up in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, but she went to uh, Tisch school for, um, like screenwriting, documentary film, she, film major. So she gave me like her cracked copy of like final draft that she had bootlegged in college. Um, I think I went to the library and took out like Sid Field's screenwriting book and like other books about like how to write scripts just to like learn formatting. Um, final draft also makes it really easy because it would say like, oh, if I want a character to say something, how do I do that? Oh, I select character and then dialogue and that's it. So that's like how I learned sketch writing format um, just on my own by reading books and like having my then girlfriend, now wife explain like, this is how you write things correctly. Do you think, um, you know, going into the Sid Field world of, of learning how to write is helpful for screen for sketch comedy? Um, I don't know if it's helpful for sketch comedy specifically. It was very helpful for learning the formatting. And honestly, like I, I then yeah. got more regimented. Like I didn't take any classes and I did probably like two or three years of writing with express lane and then clip show um, just by like, you know, you write something, you bring it in, the group gives you notes on it, you write it again. And I was working with people who had taken either, either, you know, classes at the pit or UCB, the magnet, there's a bunch of different comedy theaters here in New York. And so I learned a lot just from them. And then, uh, but, but I think like reading those books and, and I took like vigorous notes on those books to try to like, remember how to format these scripts. And, and it did help for like, like knowing little things like, Oh, a page of a screenplay should be about a page or about a minute of time. And that really helped me like the, this, the wrong number sketch that we read at the beginning of this episode was six pages long. Uh, that's way too long for a sketch. Like, like knowing that like things should probably be like no more than five pages. And honestly, like no more than three to four is like the ideal sketch length. So that really helped me for like editing myself down and keeping things under control. So knowing little things like that, like here's how you 
properly format things and how you actually like visually can look at a script and kind of know like how much time this is or, you know, things like that are, are really helpful. Um, I think. So you're working mm-hmm. with clip show. How do we get to the point? Like, uh, we had, you had mentioned off air, I think, I don't think mm-hmm. we'd, actually it was in the, the whole body yet of, uh, having a joining a UCB yeah. mall team. So, yeah. So I, that. uh, I, I loved clip show for the time I was there. Um, it was honestly, it was like four years of working with Clip Show, and it, I, I, I personally, I feel like I improved a lot. Like I really picked off where I left off. Like five years before, I knew how to write jokes because of stand up, and um, so like mm-hmm. writing jokes was the easy part. It was like writing jokes for sketch, though, is a totally other animal. Um, it's a problem I've yeah. run into with stand up a lot, where like I want to tell a story about something really funny or really crazy that happened, but it's a real like you had to be there story. Um, and that's why I love sketches because if you write something that's like a real you had to be there moment, you can make people be there because you're re- you're recreating yeah, you, the scene. You can create exactly. setting and um, like, and yeah, I've I've always sure. loved that. And it's it's um, so like I've for like four years we we did clip show. We uh, found like there were venues that were like tucked in the back of like a hostel that was very like off the books under the table. Um, but they had put like a, a stage in the living room and that was, a, that, I mean, it was a great space. I love the woman that ran that very illegal hostel space. Um, but then eventually that got shut down. Um, we moved to this place called the Creek in the cave in Queens, New York, and they had a great stage that we would use. Um, and then, you know, the, the lineup of clip show would change. It was very much like a, a comedy collective, if you will, where like it was a rotating cast, but there was like five or six of us that were pretty constant. We did it every month. It was like not even a question asked of like, yeah, we're obviously coming back. Like this is what we're doing. And we would bring in other people here and there. Um, that's how I brought uh, Pat Riley in who now we have our own sketch duo, but we kind of like started doing sketch mm-hmm. things together through um, things like clip show. Um, we eventually moved clip show to the striker stage at the people's improv theater, which is their big stage in New York. Um, and that was really cool. And then, I don't know, after a while, I feel like if you work, especially if you're working with the same people and doing the same show, I personally felt like I'd really flatlined on my own development. It kind of felt repetitive. Um, but probably around 2017, I started taking UCB's sketch classes. Um, and what sold me out, like I always kind of brushed off comedy classes because with stand-up, at least, I don't think anybody can teach you stand-up. I, I really think that like you kind of have to go up, you have to try out jokes, you have to see what works, you have to see what fails, and then you have to adjust accordingly. And if you're lucky, like five to ten years later, you become like mediocre to competent at it. Um, with sketch, though, like, you know, you can learn the rules of like how a sketch should be formatted. You still can't learn jokes, but you can learn like how to write an idea that only takes four minutes and is like a real a real sketch and i was really interested in like having sketch homework and i thought it would improve writing and so i didn't go to like learn like how to be a better comedian i was like well i want to learn how to be a better writer and that's why it was worth it to me to pay 450 dollars or whatever it costs to do these eight-week classes um by then i had a much more stable income um so i was like well i can i can i can invest this in myself and so i did a class um with uh brandon basham who's one of the sketch writers there and i really liked having um having the homework i really liked meeting people who were equally passionate about sketch um not everybody who takes those classes is equally passionate but i would like we would go to you had to you were required to go see shows so like but you would go for free so it was like you know you'd find people it's like hey you want to go see like mod night or go see somebody's you know, spank show that they put together. And like, there was, there'd always be like a group of three or four of us that were like really into it. We try to go a few times a week. Um, and 
you know, I, I really liked that. And I was like, well, I want to take the next one. So I like immediately signed up for the level two class. Um, I had Madeline Baldanzi, who I absolutely love. And she's, she's so funny, but she also has like, she gives such great writer's notes, like not just like, here's comedy notes, like here's how it'll be funny for like this person to play that character. But like really good sketch directors that I've gotten to work with are the people that understand like how to give writer's notes and then like translate that into like, here's how that person is actually going to be able to do it. And she was always very good at that. And I, I was lucky enough to also have her for level three. Um, UCB does have a rule that was like really stressing me out where like, if you don't take the next level class for, you have like a two year window to take the next class where they make you repeat the last level. And I was like, I don't want to pay another $400 mm -hmm. to take a class I've already taken. And but they have so few spots for that level three class because it's a smaller class. It's eight people instead of 12 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like literally a month before my two year window closed in like 2018 around there, like I got into a 301 class. I got into it with Madeline. Um, had a great time. That's the class where you actually get to put up a show with like UCB actors that volunteer to do it. And so that was really cool to like get, I got to do a show in the old UCB theater before they moved to the, uh, to the Times Square um, area. So like that meant a lot because I'd been going to see shows there and always wanted to, like the first time I saw Mod Night, I was like, oh my God, I want to perform in this theater. Um, I really, I really love this, this space. I love like the caliber of talent that the actors had um, and the writers I always thought were so smart and, and funny. Um, and so I got to do just like my class show there and then it moved to the new UCB theater um, because I had done a, like a fall winter class. I had just missed the cutoff to apply for Mod. Um, and, uh, the next year, uh, that, that final six months that I was with clip show, it honestly, like for me, stopped being as fun as it used to be. Um, a lot of things changed. Part of it's probably just burnout from working with the same people. Um, there were some people in that we just had different comic yeah. sensibilities or some people would really like fight for ideas that I didn't like. I would fight for ideas they didn't like. And people that I really loved working with eventually like dropped off either because they were also kind of tired of doing it or they just life happens and they kind of comedy took a back seat. And so probably like March 2018 around there, like soon after I'd finished taking the UCB classes, I was like, you know what? I want to kind of do my own thing. I actually started writing with a different group of people that I met through my 301 UCB class. And we did a few shows together writing our own shows. Um, and that was really rewarding to just like work with new writers who I like we all just gelled really well, so that was really cool. Um, and then October, November comes up. They they were taking packets for the new mod season, and I was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do this. I like I took it really seriously. Like I I pulled what I thought were like my best sketches that fit what they were looking for. Like they always ask for like a character sketch, uh, a topical sketch, and then like one whatever you want to throw in. So I like picked the ones that I thought were my very best, and I edited them. I looked at videos from those sketches and like took out just whole sections that didn't work on stage and tried to replace them. I think I sent them out to like all my friends who I like were other writers and performers. I'm like, hey, I'd love your notes on this. I sent it to like everybody that I had taken a writing class with that I really respected. Um, got some really good notes and then just like put it in an envelope. It's very old school where you have to you don't email it, you put it in like a manila envelope, you take it to the UCB training center and you just put it in a box and that was it. And then a month later I got a call from the artistic director, Michael Hartney. Um, and he was like, Hey, do you do you want a spot on mod? I was like, Holy shit, yeah, I can't believe I got it. Um it was a year where like I'm I'm still shocked that I got on it because it was so it's always so competitive, but the I got on for 2019, so this is my second year doing it. 
And it was, there were only 12 spots available yeah. for writers. Um, they only had six teams, six writing spots on two of the teams. Were, two of the teams were brand new. Um, so there were six spots on each one for writers. And I got one of those 12. And then they were like, yeah, we had like some something crazy, like several hundred submissions. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't know how my packet got to the top. Wow. But um, so, and and then just like meeting people who were equally like, equally talented and driven. I was like, Oh, we're all like, like we all did try very hard, but there's like, we were, it was made very clear. Like there's so many people that could be here instead. So like now we're all kind of in this mode of just like, like nobody phones it in. Everybody like really like puts their all into this. Um, it's easy to do it. Cause the UCB mod night is like one of the most popular shows. It's always like packed with 200 people in that room. Um, so it's like, it's worth it. Like you're going to put all this work in, but you're going to get a packed, a packed house. That's going to see it. But yeah, that was how I went from not knowing screenwriting format to working with like indie groups to then like getting on a UCB team. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really cool. So is is like, and I'm not a total devotee of the UCB process, sure. but is Maud just their their name for Sketchlight, or is there a specific format to a Maud? Yeah, versus like, uh, yeah, like they do have the Herald, which is like a specific format where it's like it's like a three act right. structure, half hour improv game. Where like in the beginning, you're like, I've never taken an improv class. I've I, I've I've never really like seen myself as a performer. Like actors I know who've taken improv, they get a lot out of it and they become really really fantastic on stage to work with especially for comedy but even in like dramatic things like you need to kind of roll with the punches and improv especially like doing a herald or long form improv can really help with that but it was never something i was really interested in um mod is just their name for uh, a sketch show i don't know why it's called mod i don't know if it has to do with like herald and mod or i I think it does okay yeah yeah, i always wondered because like harold lloyd was like an actual like performer and they have harold knight and lloyd knight um but yeah, no, it's just, it's just sketches. So like the format of a mod show is, you know, you have five or six writers. We have six on our team. Um, everybody writes, spends the month writing three or four sketch, excuse me, three or four sketches. Um, and then, you know, you kind of whittle it down to maybe your two best sketches. And some teams like get a little bit more competitive with it, where like if a writer has like two amazing sketches, like, sorry, whoever had the weakest sketch probably won't get a sketch in. Um, we don't, we've never liked doing that. Like everybody like we're paying to do this. We're not getting paid to do it. So like we all, the way we've always done it on house of birds, which is the team I've been on for the last couple of years. Um, it's always like everybody gets sketch in the show. Um, everybody's writing like three or four. Everybody's like working their asses off every month. So like we whittle it down. It's like, whatever your best sketches, that's what makes the show. So it, it ends up being like six sketches, four to five minutes each. It's like a 25 to 30 minute show. Um, and there's two teams paired together. So the whole show is like an hour and 20 minutes. There's like a host that'll go up and do stuff in between um, the two the two sets. But that's that's the the format of the show is it's two two different teams, each doing a half hour, each doing like five or six sketches per show. So then how do we get to you and, and Pat working together as a duo? Yeah, so uh, me and Patrick J. Riley uh, have recently started performing as Kevin and Pat um a two-man sketch duo um and i think it was around five or six years ago we met um we met around 2012 uh like right after hurricane sandy when the trains were shut down in new york um it was really hard on open mic comedians who for a lot of them the only reason they left the house was to go do open mics 
Um, and if you're doing like, I don't know if you've done a lot of standup, like a lot of when, when you're doing a lot of standup and you miss a day of doing it, you feel it like the way I've heard people who are like avid runners and they miss a day of running. They're like, they get like depressed, they get sick, they get anxious. Like that's how it feels if you don't do comedy. So after Hurricane Sandy, when the roads were fine, but the trains were still shut down, I hosted an open mic in my apartment. Um, in my bedroom okay. to, and just invited all the comedians that were within walking distance to come over. And this was, I Patrick, Patrick and I must have met each other at a mic maybe, but I didn't know him. I didn't even know his name. I just recognized him. And he walked from his house in Bay Ridge or Sunset Park, Brooklyn, which is like South Brooklyn up to my place in Woodside, Queens, which is like a four and a half hour walk. Um, but like word of mouth had gotten out and like comics from who lived in Brooklyn or lived on Staten Island and had cars, like drove people to my house and just like people brought beer and it just became like a, you know, comedy party. But we did an open mic, like everybody did like three minutes of jokes. And that was the first time I met Pat Riley was at this open mic. Um, and we kind of, we hit it off. Like he's such like a, he, he, like me and him, like we, we compliment each other really well. Where like, he's a very like wild, uh, high energy just like big performer. Uh, and I am, I am not that, but we, we all, but, but it works really well. And like, we became friends and we, we, we ended up having like a lot of mutual friends and like saw each other at open mics a lot and would just like goof around a lot and became friends that way. And then, um, I think it was around like a couple years after that, where, uh, I, I always really, really enjoyed like older comedy. Uh, like, like I mentioned before, like I loved Mel Brooks and like Blazing Saddles, Robin Hood Men in Tights, High Anxiety, like all of those like Mel Brooksy, Mel Brooks movies that really were, were aping a lot of stuff from like the Marx Brothers. Um, and when I was really getting into stand-up, I like really did like a history of comedy on my own where I like I like went back and I listened to like classic Groucho bits, classic like Woody Allen when he was doing stand-up still and like comedy from the 30s and 40s, like radio comedy. And so I eventually got myself to like the Smothers Brothers and I was like, oh, this would be so fun to do like a duo comedy show. And I was like, I'd love to do something with Pat. Um, also working with Pat is really good because I he lacks almost or he has almost way too much confidence in areas where I lack total confidence. So at the time, like the idea of reaching out to a venue like terrified me and like talking to the owner of a bar and pitching a show like absolutely terrifying. Whereas at the time, Pat was doing like four or five different shows that he was running around the around the city. Like he had no problem talking to people. And for someone like me who was very introverted, had a very hard time talking to people, I was like, that's who I need to be working with is somebody who has no shame and can just talk to anybody. Um, and so I pitched it to him. He used to work at a comic book store and I was like, hey, I what if we did like a, a duo show? Like we did like, you know, um, like Marx Brothers-y, uh, um, uh, Smothers Brothers type, type things, Nichols and May type bits. Um, and we did it at the comic book shop every month and we called it like dynamic duos, uh, that way, that way it has like a very loose comic book feel to it. So we did this and we, we would book comedians to perform in duos. Um, and it was like, you can do whatever you want. You can sing a song, you can do like very Abbott and Costello-y type stuff. You can do a two person sketch. We don't care. The only rule is it has to be a duo show. And every month we would write like a new, very like slapsticky or very like, you know, wordplay, like those classic, like bits that would really work well on the radio if this was 60 years ago. Um, and we did a lot of stuff like that. Um, we would sometimes go and like go to other people's shows and they'd be like, Oh, do you guys want to host? And we would like be like, Oh, let's do like a weird host bit. And we used to do a bit for, a, for our friend shows if they wanted us to open for them. <laughs> um, where like we would do our stand up sets and then I'd be like, Hey guys, uh, I hope you don't mind, but I brought my opener. 
Um, please welcome my opening comedian, Patrick J. Riley. And then Patrick would come out and he'd be like, thank you all so much. Glad to be here. Real quick though, I want to bring on my opener. And then he would just make up a character's name and then I would come out as that character and we would play this game where we would just go on and on until people no longer enjoyed it. Uh, but we would just introduce a fake character and be like, oh, this is a dock worker from uh, Staten Island. Uh, and this is his first time doing standup. And then Pat would come out and be a dock worker complaining about the docks. Um, so we would do things like that all the time. Uh, and then, you know, we would write things for ourselves to do when we were in clip show uh, that we'll, where we could play off of each other. Um, and I think it was last year that we heard about this uh, thing that the pit does called July Madness. Um, typically, it's like they'll just put together a bunch of random sketch writers and actors and say, you have a month to put a show together. And then it would be like an audience applause, like competition where it's like which team did the best with a month's notice working with people you don't know. And for whatever reason, for July Madness this year, they did it with just any sketch group can sign up. And it was like a March Madness, like bracketed thing where just like you go up against this team, audience claps, whoever gets the most claps moves on to the next round. Um, I think they also had a couple judges that would give their notes and like, we vote for this one and very American Idol, very low stakes. But he was like, I signed us up to be Kevin and Pat. So let's just pick some of our classic bits we did for dynamic duos or sketch bits that we did together. And we like wrote them and actually like practice them to do for this thing. And I, I really hate comedy contests that fill, they fill me with so much anxiety um, and like, just like I get way too in my head about them. And so I was like, I hope we lose. So I don't have to do it again. And we won the first night and I was like, God damn it. All right, we have to do the second one. Um, and we, we made it to the finals and then lost in the finals to um, uh, Jack and Melissa, another, oddly enough, another sketch duo in the city. Um, and they were very funny and they deserved to win. So now we've actually used uh, that, a whole experience like we we market ourselves as the second best sketch comedy group in new york um and we like we wrote a whole uh one man show together uh it's called kevin and pat's one man show uh and the whole guise of it is like yes mm -hmm. we are that famous sketch comedy duo that yes we're the second best sketch comedy duo we know that's why you're here but we really just want to work on our one man show um and then the whole guise of that show was that patrick and i booked our one man shows on the same night and we keep trying to do our one man show but then we interject with bits and things like that so it's very non-traditional sketch comedy like there's no like i mean we, we try to have like a single game in the sketch you know to use ucb terms but like a lot of it is we are talking directly to the audience like i think a lot of that just comes from us doing stand-up where like so you have to like roll with the punches and if an audience really isn't feeling you you kind of have to go off script and like get people on so like we'll walk into the audience and acknowledge that we are in this theater right now and like here's a person who's really not enjoying it. We'll like point out that somebody's really not enjoying it. Um, and so it's very loose, but then we always do have a script that we like fall back on. And so um, that's how we started doing it. And then we really realized that uh, it's so much easier to schedule and write and rehearse with only two people. Um, we actually, a couple years ago, we wrote a musical together called Great Frontier, uh, a poorly researched musical about Lewis and Clark. Um, because we wanted to write something for just us to do. So we're like, oh, what if we were Lewis and Clark? Um, and we wrote a very, again, very like Blazing Saddles, Mel Brooks, old comedy tone to it, like very vaudevillian physical humor to a lot of it. Um, and we wrote all the songs. I wrote the music for it. We did it at the New York Theater Festival. We did a couple things, but the just coordinating with a cast and a piano player and our director and the theater, there was so much to it that we both like got so burnt out. And we we're like, what if we just did stuff together? So we both really craved like having a less stressful sketch project. And that's how we kind of put together Kevin and Pat and like 
I don't know. My wife always brings up like how much fun it is to, even if we're like floundering, just like, because we kind of like stay in the moment and there is some like very like off the cuff improv that goes on. Like there is a, a unique energy to it that you wouldn't find in most sketch groups because they tend to follow the script. Whereas we have no problem throwing the script away or throwing in a new line to try to make the other person laugh on stage. Um, but that's that's kind of where where we came in with with Kevin and Pat was to just like take all this stuff that we've kind of done together over the last seven years and just like hone it into like one coherent show. And so that's that's what Kevin and Pat's one man show was. We just took like everything that we've done and strung it into like one forty five minute narrative. Um, yeah, that's that's Kevin and Pat. That long diatribe was Kevin and Pat. <laughs> Great. Um, so as we're wrapping up here. Um, uh i i'm always i always ask because like to me this is primarily a, mm-hmm. a writing podcast although i definitely stray from that a lot uh but what's something that you would that you've learned i mean you, you basically <laughs> yeah. jumped in the deep end by yourself like in college you know no experience no mm-hmm. just like hey let's just figure this out and do it eventually you do take ucb classes you read sid field What's something about comedy? What what's something about comedy writing that you would pass on to a new writer? I think, and this is, I mean, this is just coming from from me, and like I did a very like specific haphazard way of of doing it. But I think everybody that I've talked to, or like you listen to enough, there's so many podcasts out there where like comedians are like, "How did I get started?" And I feel like I definitely resonate with this a lot too. But just like if you want to do it, just like just just do it find a way to do it um if you're in a new york or a boston philly chicago like if you're in a city it's pretty easy to find other people that want to do it but like even if you're in a small state a small town new hampshire that doesn't have it like if you're in college and you don't have a sketch group and you want to do it like find your other comedy nerd friends and just like start doing it um i feel like definitely like in the beginning i because i had no idea what i was doing i was really free from like being like afraid of having any standards for it or thinking it had to be anything like we just wanted to make each other laugh. And sometimes that's, that's fine. Like if you're doing a sketch and like it makes everybody else on your team laugh, like do it. And if the audience doesn't laugh, all right, you don't do it again. But like, it's one of those things where you kind of have to do it in front of people. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it, the more fun you have with it. Um, like after writing that wrong number sketch, I was like so addicted to writing immediately that the next show, I think we had like, we did a full hour and, and like we had 13 sketches in it, which is too long for a sketch show again. But like 11 or 12 of them were just things I had written because everybody else was like, oh, I'll write. oh I mean, wow. I, I seriously was like addicted to it. And I, my, my grades definitely dropped, but my sketch production really skyrocketed. Um, so I think, yeah, that's like the most important thing. If you're doing sketch or stand up, anything like that, like go find a place to do it. If like find a coffee shop that'll let you put a microphone in the corner, find even, I mean, now with the internet, like start a meetup group and see who else wants to write sketch and just like, just write stuff and find a community playhouse or a bar that'll let you take over for an hour or something like that. So yeah, it's kind of, I know it's been, it's been said definitely by a lot of other people, but I think like if, if I hadn't have just done it, I wouldn't have done it. I would have just like thought like, Oh, comedy is a cool thing, but there's no way to actually get into it. And, most people who get into it just like stumble upon a bar or a group that does it. And yeah, I feel like yeah. that's the, the, the biggest thing is just, yeah, just do it and see what happens. And then finally, uh, I mean, you mentioned how like in the aftermath of Sandy, like the city mm-hmm. shut down and there were comics that were like 
almost going through withdrawal symptoms <laughs> yep because they hadn't got on stage like so why comedy for you like why have you spent the last 10 plus years yeah pursuing comedy god yeah i i definitely asked myself that two weeks ago when i hit the 10 year anniversary i was like wow i did my first open mic 10 years ago and then also pulling this sketch and being like wow the timestamp on that facebook post was january 2008 like it's been 12 years of writing this stuff and i i i kind of i tend to take stock like i'll take like emotional stock every january just because i know like that's where like that milestone moment was for me but i mean in i mean i was never good at sports so that was always out of out of the question and i just i there's something about writing jokes that has always made me very very happy um and it took me a few years of like really getting burnt out on on stand up i'll still do it from time to time but to like really admit to myself that i enjoy writing way more than i love performing um and mm-hmm. so like like we're in the middle of rehearsing for the next house of birds show um and like i'll stay up i'll stay up late like i'll get back from after work like i work a full time job now and i have like an adult job where i have like real responsibilities now um <laughs> like i work in insurance and i have a bunch of people that work under me so like i can't just like phone it in the way i used to <laughs> um which is good like i feel way more like active and alert day to day which is nice but like i'll finish work and it's like i can't imagine going and doing 14 mics a week like after work but i'll come home i'll like make dinner and just like sit down at my computer and i'll write three sketches for the next meeting and just like it like fuels me in a way that performing would always very much drain me i I think it's just because i am way more of an introvert no matter how much i try to blend in with extroverts in performing (laughs) um but but yeah yeah, that's always been why i've gravitated and why i've really gravitated back to sketches like Sometimes you just find something and it like it gives you that fuel that you need day to day. And I don't I don't think I'll ever be able to not have some sort of creative project going on outside of work because whenever I've not had a comedy thing going on, like I just get I get bored. I get like very anxious. I'm like, what am I what am I doing? And so like as best as I've tried to like quit or take a break, it that's like always when like I'll come up with an idea and I'm like, oh, let me write that down. And I feel like every Every day I'll like see something weird on the street. New York's great for that. Or I'll just think of a weird idea or I'll be reading a book and like there'll be a character that I really like. And I'll just like think of a, like a character or a sketch premise off of that. And I just have like a running list of sketches and I'm just like, well, I, I don't know. Just the idea of like coming up with like one dumb joke. And so many of my sketches start out as like one dumb idea. And then just the idea of like stretching that out into four pages and like finding all the other angles of it. That's, that's what I've always really enjoyed. And it's always brought me genuine joy to like to actually write the jokes like that and so um with now like i have to perform like with kevin and pat because otherwise it would just be pat performing which um but like with house of birds and kevin and pat like i get to really flex both muscles of just like writing very like strict regimented sketches writing very loose random bizarre sketches for me and pat to do and and i don't know it's a, it's a lot of writing so for me it's always it's always been like finding ways to to write and that's kind of where i see myself focusing for the foreseeable future definitely nice thanks kevin yeah thank you you can follow kevin on twitter and instagram at kevin frolix f-r-o-l-e-i-k-s 
It's in the info on, the, on this episode if you really want to. And it's, you know, in the title of the episode. Kevin's mall team at UCB House of Birds will be performing next on Monday, February 3rd, and every first Monday at 7.30 p.m. at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Like them on Facebook and follow them on Instagram. Both of those handles are H-O-B-U-C-B. His sketch duo with Patrick J. Riley, appropriately called Kevin and Pat, will be heading to the Bird City Comedy Festival in Phoenix this March. Hey, if you live in Philly, our friends in High Drama will be presenting High Drama's Cozy Wintertime Snuggle Hour, January 30th and 31st, at the Philly Improv Theater in the 9 p.m. block. Head to fitcomedy.com for ticket information. I'll be going on Thursday the 30th, so come hang out with me. My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. So go see some comedy.